You are an entrepreneur, a professional, a speaker, or a coach. And although you've come a long way, it's time for you to take it to the next level. We've got you. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. We'll help you use authority and influencer marketing to build your business stronger and faster by publishing a book. You'll hear from guests that are thought leaders in sales, marketing, networking, communication, social media, promotion, and business leadership. Let's do it. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. And now your host, the extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder. Welcome to the Author to Authority Podcast. And if you have ever wondered the importance of branding to attracting high-quality, high-paying clients, then you do not want to miss this episode of the Author to Authority podcast. I'm your host, Kim Thompson-Pinder, and today I want to welcome Drake to the show. He is a quality client-quality consultant who helps business owners land better clients and level up their business to be more attractive to high-quality people. Welcome to the show, Drake. Thank you so much, Kim. Excited to be here, and thank you for that kind introduction. So, Drake, just as we get started here, so we've labeled this the seven steps to becoming a premium brand. So I'm going to get Mm -hmm. you to just quickly list off the seven, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So step one is, you know, defining what singular product or service you have to offer that is most attractive and most valuable to your highest quality clients. Step number two is defining what a good high quality client looks like for your brand, for your business specifically. Step number three is reorienting all of your messaging to sell that item to that person. After that, step number four, we're going to become very transparent in our marketing around who we serve, who we don't serve, what we do, what we don't do, and address any elephants in the room, including what results we're good at getting, results we're not good at getting. We're going to be very transparent around that. Step number five is to reimagine our policies. We have a tendency as business owners to make policies that protect us from the clients. We want to shift those to protect the clients from us, right? Step number six is to make working with you a much better experience. We are emotional beings, and when we have good experiences, we'll, we'll pay high-end high, high money for a mediocre product if it comes with a great experience. But then step number seven is to actually go in and revamp your fulfillment to serve that person we defined in step number two on a level that your competition can't compete. Wow, today is going to be a really wonderful conversation. Love it already. Drake, I would love for you to just take a few minutes and share a little bit more about yourself. And, you know, how did you become a client quality consultant? Not on purpose. (laughs) Uh, It just kind of happened, you know. Back in 2016, I took my my first sales job and I didn't really know what I was doing. I just knew that I was good at customer service and I had pretty good communication skills and I wanted to try something new. So I I took a shot. It went really well. 
within six months, you know, I was I was breaking company sales records. And, you know, over a three year period with this company, I started looking and saying, well, why are we selling this? Why are we working with this person? And we started saving off the low quality work and um, saying no to, to the, the clients that weren't of a quality that we wanted, a high, higher quality that we wanted. We started, you know, basically doing everything that I went over uh, in those seven steps. And three years later, it was it was a completely transformed business, went from what I jokingly call a snoozing mom and pop shop, right? The run of the mill business with five or 10 people that was doing well by all means, but, you know, just kind of coasting. They were, they were happy with where they were at. And three years later, we were an industry leading brand that had become a specialized, gone from a generalist to a special, specialized business. And now we're an industry leading brand serving five states complete transformation. Um, from there, I went into high ticket phone sales. Um, after I got bored of just the monotony of call after call after call of doing that for a year or two, I was like, man, I got to do something else. And a good friend of mine was, hey, like, they were like, hey, what about that stuff you did at that rap company? And I was like, I did sales. What do you, what do you, what do you mean? And he was like, no, you did more than that though. Like you really, we've talked about this. You really you know, helped create a lot of change there. So that prompted me to, you know, go back and revisit that and dissect like what I did there that wasn't just selling and the decisions that I made around sales and things of that nature that helped affect this change. And out of that came the book, Seven Steps to Attracting Great Clients. That was writing the book was was sort of my process of figuring out what it was that I did. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that, Drake. Many of the clients that we've worked with at RTI Publishing, that has actually become true. Like you, I kind of fell into publishing. And, you know, it's been a process. But the last year or two, just really been starting to see a shift, not only in the people that we work with, but how we're working with them. And one of the things is is realizing that the book becomes this clarifying process of their business. It's almost like they have to, they now have to really think through everything in their business because it's going in the book. So it better make sense mm -hmm. and it better be targeted. And, it, and so, yeah, I'm really happy that you said that because that is so true. And it, and writing your book for your business does, it becomes this catalyst that just changes a lot of things. Oh yeah. It was definitely quite the process. It was a little bit more intense than, than I thought it would be. I think we like to think that you're going to sit down and create this nice outline and then just sit down and crank it out. And then there's going to be a few tweaks here and a few tweaks there and it'll be good. And like, <laughs> does not go that way. I sat down and like, I found myself trying to like write each chapter that way, like perfecting and perfecting. And I was like, this isn't working. So I just said, you know what? You have a week to finish the first draft. Yeah. And I cranked it out in a week and it was terrible, <laughs> but it was done. And from there I was like, okay, now I have a piece of clay to work with. And I was able to go in and, you know, refine it and, uh, you know, bring it, turn it into what it is. 
you know, turn into something I can be, I can be proud of. (laughs) (laughs) Just laughing because been through this with so many clients. I have people submit their, their, their final, like their first drafts to me. And because we're going to work, help them work on it. And I'm always very cognizant of the fact that this is their little baby they just gave to me. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's a really cute, nice smelling baby. Sometimes it's not. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I'm sure they're always very self-conscious about it. And so I always try to make sure that I give lots of things that I love about their baby. Yeah. Compliments and lots of compliment sandwiches. And and true compliments. I don't make up things. Right. But then I'm like, well, we've got to deal with this smelly diaper. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it needs to be changed. <laughs> yep. And speaking of smelly diapers, I'm sure there will be a second draft of this at some point, but a second <laughs> edition. Uh, yeah. And- it, it's one of those things that I think you're never going to like open up your book and be like, done. You're always going to get the printed version, open it up and be like, ooh, something to improve. Well, the funny thing with you saying that is I just, I had this epiphany yesterday and I've been thinking about a lot of things in terms of my own business and, and not the structure of the business, but how I describe it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be doing a lot more speaking in 2024. So I'm starting to prepare sort of that signature speech. How how do I distill down what it is we do into you know, a speech that is fun, engaging, entertaining, valuable, you know, all these things at the same time. And so I had this epiphany yesterday and I'm not going to share what it is yet because I'm pregnant. I haven't had the baby yet, but it's percolating. Uh, But then I looked at my book and I went, I might need to restructure the book. Uh-huh. And do either do another book or restructure the first book. So I'm thinking through that one right now. But actually, probably by the time this is released, it should all be finished because this will be released in November and we're recording in September. So who knows? You maybe just check the show notes because there might just be something there for you to take a look at and see Kim's <laughs> epiphany. We'll share more with the audience as it develops. I'm just kind of just pregnant and I'm not sure how much I want to share about it yet. But I I want to um go into more into the seven steps. But just mm-hmm. before we do that, since we were talking about your book, there is one question and the audience knows this question. I ask every single author that comes on this show this question. So you're ready? Should I be Drake? scared? Should I be scared? Oh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the good, the bad, and the ugly about publishing that first book? Oh, I mean, the good is obviously the clarity that came to understanding what I did with that company so long ago. And, you know, that really became, that helped me kind of figure out what it is that my business is going to be as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm in the process of launching a program that's focused around the seven steps to help small businesses implement the steps into their business. And that came from the book. 
So yeah. that's amazing. Uh, the bad, uh, I would say, is it's it's tough to write a book. Um, I also did it on my own. It was a self-guided adventure, so it had more probably more pitfalls and is not as high quality as it maybe it could be. So I, there's definitely as the program develops and progresses and you know it becomes more established and there's like more meat on the bones I'm definitely going to want to go back and do a second edition that, that's a little a little beefier but uh it was also really hard to decide what to put in there because mm. as business owners as people who love helping other people we have so much to share and so much knowledge and so many things that we can share with them that will, will change things for them. But it's really hard. It's really easy to overshare to a point yeah. where there's too much going on. It creates more confusion than help. So knowing how to distill it down to it just exactly what it needed to be, nothing more, nothing less was process. It's funny you said that one of my clients, and I uh, won't share who, but one of my clients writes his own books, and then we go through a tremendous editing process. And I remember when he submitted his first book to us, and actually there's there's two clients. No, wait, there's three clients that this has happened with. And their their first submissions were about well over 200 word document pages long which meant that the printed book was going to be over 300 pages long Yikes. And, and so you know re i'm reading this the project manager's reading this and we're like okay we we're going to have to distill this down cuz you know a 300 page book is not going to serve the purpose of you know creating the value for reader and one of the things that we noticed consistently with all three of them was, was that they were repeating the same thing in different ways because they wanted to make sure that people got it. So one of the things that we did was we went through and removed all of that, those repeat, repetition. all the repetition. And yeah, and that is quite a process. I actually told, I actually told, all of them that the next time they go to do a book, it's much easier if we just ghostwrite it because the, the process yeah. took so long trying to distill it down. I said, we could have done it a whole bunch faster. Just ghostwriting it for you. <laughs> are, are these nonfiction books? Yes. Yeah. Really long nonfiction books are like the bane of my existence. I've read <laughs> so much nonfiction in my life. I eventually got to a point where um, today, unless it's a topic that I'm really interested in and is very applicable to what I'm going through now. I'm probably going to get halfway through it before I'm like, you you lost me. Like you spent too long. You didn't get to the point. So I really intentionally was very intentional about keeping my book short and to the point. So I think the uh, Google Doc manuscript was like 40 something pages long, like right around, I think, 18, 19,000 words. So you, somebody should be able to read this in like 60 to 90 minutes. Yeah. Cover to cover. And yeah. it's very intentionally designed that way. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I'm reading a book right now. And the book came highly recommended. 
But the first two thirds of the book I could have done without. I was just, I'm like, I don't need all of this. Like, just get to the point what I need. You know, the person spent a lot of time going through the history of the, the thing. And I'm like, I don't need the history. I just need the formula. Tell me the formula and then how to use the formula. Yeah. One of the things that I joke about doing one day is starting a publishing company that just goes to all the best books out there, all the best nonfiction books out there and going to the author and going, cool. So I want to like create a copy of this that's going to be 20% as long and we're going to charge twice as much for it. Yep. So there's so many business owners that, that I know out there would pay you know, $40, $50 for a book instead of 2025 if they could read it in an hour. True. True. I think it depends, though. Some of it depends on the target market. Like mm-hmm. the one thing that we found is the higher educated your target marker is, your book actually needs to be usually within 100 to 200 pages, preferably that 150 to 200 page length. Okay. I figured there were probably some things about publishing that I don't understand around that idea. <laughs> well, like if you look at the average reading level in both Canada and the U.S., it's about a grade six reading level consistently across both countries. If you're looking at someone who's highly educated or more education, let's say college, university, Then you're looking at like a grade eight, nine reading level. And then, of course, like if you start getting into master's, BAs, all that kind of stuff, right? Like, you know, they're they're very high up there. But we found that the more educated a person is, they don't want just the basics. They want some depth into it. And so those longer books allow you to go into more into depth on topics, mm-hmm. not boring, like not, but more like thought leadership type, you know, where you dive deep into the topic, really explore it. And, and so a lot of our clients, their, their readers are very well educated. So we do these longer books, but if you're writing to a more general public, then, you know, books that are about 100 pages, maybe 120, uh, we found like 120 is good because it makes the spine thick enough that it, it seems like it's got some mm-hmm. meat to it. But yeah, it's an interesting thing to study what what people want in terms of, of books and reading. So, but you know what, Drake, here's the thing. What I loved about what you said was, was that you really took a look at your target market and you realized that there was a need there for not longer books, but books that get to the point. Mm. And, and so I commend you for that because that understanding what your target market needs is really critical when writing a book. You know, if your target market needs something in the hundred to 120 pages and it's now 200, 250 you've lost them. Mm-hmm. But the reverse is true. If somebody wants that 200 page book and you give them a hundred, they're not going to leave satisfied. So that, I think that's something important that the audience needs to consider when doing their books is, is the target market and what, what is the length of the books that the target market reads? And I, that's a really good thing for you, for you to study when you're considering writing a book is look at your target market and then ask them what books they're reading. 
Mm-hmm. Look at the length of those books. If the average length is 100, 120 pages, then yours better be in around the same. Yeah. For me, I just know that, you know, the people that I'm trying to reach are your traditional small business owners. And with what I'm teaching in here, they're, most of them are most likely a little bit overwhelmed and have an overloaded plate in their business. They're not yeah. sitting around, they're, they're not sitting around with tons of free time, you know, <laughs> just, just watching the checking account room. So, you know, I really wanted to make sure that the content was, you know, quick and easy to digest, got to the point, really helped them create the paradigm shift that they needed to, while also giving them the actual actionable tools that they can take to go do this in their business without, you know, eating up too much of their time. I remember when I used to be the right-hand man at a small business, I was reading all these nonfiction books that were, you know, 150, 200 pages long. And the owner of the company had this stack of books on his desk that he was supposed to read. It just <laughs> never got read because he never had time. Yeah. It was like his to-do his, his to-do list, his, his plate was always overflowing. Yeah. Yeah. I so agree. Well, we've got about 10 minutes left, Drake. I want to shift gears back to the seven steps. So let's let's dive into them a little bit deeper. So, you know, tell us them again and then give us a little bit more explanation around them. Absolutely. So step number one is determining what product or service you should be focusing most of your energy on. Uh, and step number two is figuring out who you should be selling, who you should be focusing on selling that to. So I teach what I call the one, one, one equation, which is one offer to one buyer with one fulfillment process. One of the things we have a tendency to do as business owners is to want to create new things a lot. But it, it ends up creating this really complex business that, it, you know, it just ends up eating up our time, our happiness, and our sanity. So by focusing on one thing, one product or service, and focusing on selling it to one buyer with one fulfillment process, it's our business simple. That doesn't mean you can only do one thing, but that you can only offer one thing. But it does mean that's where we want to be putting 90% of our sales and marketing energy into that one thing. So basically what we do to determine what your, your product is, I call it your, your best payday. It's something that I learned from Frank Kern. You're looking at, you know, how easy is this thing to sell? What's the net, net profit on it? Is it easy to deliver? Does it energize you? Is it sustainable? Is it something that you can teach somebody else to do, right? Mm-hmm. So that there's, there's scalability. Is it scalable? And we're, we're basically going to score every one of our products or services on each one of those criteria from one to five, one being low, five being high. The ones that score highest are the ones we're looking at to Mm -hmm. be that one product or service. The ones that score the lowest, we may just want to stop offering. Yeah. Right. So it's a really quick way to create clarity on what's going on in your business and simplify your business and make it a lot more manageable and buy back some of your time so that you're spending less time working in the business and more time working on it. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Pareto's principle, you know, where you get 80% of your results from 20% of what what you do. And it's the same with your products. You're going to have you're going to have those products one or two probably that give you about 80% of your sales. So you can right. actually cut those other ones out, focus more on the ones that that give you the 80%. 
And when we do the same thing with step number two with our best buyer, we 80-20 that too. We can like we can potentially like grow revenue by 400 mm-hmm. percent just by replacing that other 80 percent of you know people that we low quality buyers that are buying low value items we can replace those with high quality buyers that are buying high quality items mm-hmm. we can potentially 400 increase revenue by 400 percent without actually doing more work yeah and i mean we we all have those clients that just drain you Mm-hmm. You know, they want everything for nothing. And, you know, you, you set out the scope of the project. And yet every time you turn around there, oh, well, can you just add this? Or can you can you just do this? And it's like, I've learned to really, oh, it's amazing. There There is an amazing word that I've learned. Actually, it's a sentence like, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the time that we were the rap company, you know, just by figuring out what are our high value items were that we wanted to focus on selling and who we wanted to be selling, selling that to, by understanding that, we were able to start saying no at a level that within just a few months started changing the business. You started seeing employees be happier. You started just everything just started to get better. And it wasn't a big shift. And I think the thing I love about the seven steps are none of these are, are huge shifts. They're yes. subtle, but they're in the foundation of the business. Yeah. So the effects are far reaching. Okay. So that was, I think, what, step one and two? One and two. Step number three is really just about going back and examining, you know, so there's the, the best payday. Best for the best buyer, what we end up with when we do that are three characteristics and three mindsets. So three aspects of their situation that makes them easy to work with and easy to deliver to, and three aspects of how they think that make them easy to work with and easy to deliver to. Then we want to take that best payday and those six criteria for the best buyer and start working them into all of our our copy and our messaging on our website and all of that. And we want to make sure we're, we're dropping all the products from that messaging that we don't want to be selling and that we're speaking to this new best buyer in that so that we're attracting more of them and actually repelling people who don't fit them in the messaging state. And, and you know what? That's scary. That's scary for most entrepreneurs because they're like, I don't want to turn people away. Shouldn't, shouldn't I be trying to go for everyone? But I found that the more narrow I get and the more people that I say no to, I say yes to the right people. It can definitely feel counterintuitive, which can make it very scary, like you said. But that's why financial security is a financial stability is a really big part of being ready for this this kind of work. If you're worried about how you're going to pay the light bill next week, it's really hard to say no to anybody who wants to give you money. Yeah. Um, so financial stability is really important. In fact, financial stability is one of the characteristics of my best buyer, right? So it doesn't mean you have to be, you don't, you're not already the best of the best in your, in your industry, but you're at least stable enough that you're not worried about staying in business the next month, two months, three months, six months, you know, you're going to be around, Yeah. you know, you're going to pay your bills. But step number four is where we go in. Oh, one of the other things about step three is we're, we're, we're basically figuring out what our values are in business and in life. Yeah. 
as a business owner and speaking to those in our messaging as well. Because when we speak to those, again, we're going to attract people that share our values and people that share our values are a lot easier to work with. (laughs) Yes. True. True. You know? Yeah. Step four. Step four is going in and, you know, getting clear now that we have clarity on what work you do, you don't do, who you work with, who you don't work with, what results you're good at getting, what results you're not getting good at getting, making sure that all of that information is very easy to find and under quickly understand so that you stop getting calls from people who want you to do things that you don't do. You're always going to get the random guys who are like, I know they say they don't do this, but I'm going to call and see if they do. But 80% of the people who used to call you asking for things that you didn't want to do, they're not going to call you anymore because you're being so transparent about it. Mm -hmm. And that's going to remove a lot of the temptation to go against the new boundaries that you've set for yourself in business. Boundaries, by the way, is like the there's one word I could apply to this book. It's boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. I so agree. It's not something that's talked a lot about in terms of business. So kudos mm-hmm. to you. Thank you. Yeah. Step number five is going in and reimagining our policies. I mentioned earlier that we have this tendency to create policies that protect us from the customer. But what that usually ends up doing it it usually ends up just feeling to customers like you're saying, hey, I didn't actually bother to get that good at running my business. So I implemented this policy so that when things go bad, they swing my way, right? And that's that's a huge red flag for all the high quality customers that you really want. Those, yeah. those types of policies are actually going to drive away uh, the clients that you really want and they're never, they're, they're never gonna tell you that. No. So what we want to do is we want to reformulate them to protect them from you. So those are two types of policies. The third is a middle ground policy, which is, you know, provides mutual protection. But what we really want to do is protect them from us. It really showcases our dedication to our craft and to them. And and it just stands out in a marketplace where so many people are afraid to stand behind their work because they don't want to lose money. Yeah. But what we're doing at the same time is we're creating procedures within our business to make sure that those policies don't bite us in the butt. So what we did at the wrap company is, you know, our competition had a design policy that said, we'll design your vehicle wrap. We'll send you for $150. We'll send you three concepts. You have to choose one. And then you get three revisions from there. After that, if you want more revisions, you pay $75 an hour. So this did not create certainty that they were going to get a wrap that they want, that they loved. So what we did was we just said, hey, we're going to charge you 500 bucks for your wrap design, but we guarantee that you're going to be happy. We'll send you between two to four initial concepts. First, you're going to sit down with one of our designers and have a one-to-one meeting with them to figure out what you want. After that, we're going to send you two to four initial concepts. You let us know what you do like, what you don't like. Just give us whatever feedback you want, and we're going to design until you're happy. Yep. Right? Yep. High-quality clients that were really concerned with getting a product that they that they that they were proud to put on to showcase their company with to have rolling around to have on fifty vehicles rolling around town. Those are the clients that came to us. So Drake. 
Yeah. Well, we'll have to do the other ones at another time because we're basically out of time. I'm sorry. No, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, so you've got one minute to kind of summarize the last two. Yeah, the last two are really just about going in and utilizing client surveys, onboarding processes, regular client check-ins, and offboarding processes to systematically collect data about how you can improve the experience and improve the results that your clients are getting. Love it. Concise. Perfect. <laughs> Drake, if people have loved this conversation and they want to connect with you, how can they get a hold of you? So if they want to get a hold of me, they can always go to my website, which is just profitcollective.vip. But if they want to actually take something and implement it into their business, I have a training that's available to them called Three Simple Steps. And it is available. Basically, it's the first. It's, it goes over, teaches them all about the 111 equation and then how to implement steps one and two into their business that day so they can start making progress immediately in shifting their business. But that's available at resources.profitcollective.vip. That is so awesome. Thank you so much, Drake, for being on the show today. Audience, if you have enjoyed this episode, I want you to scan back to episode 433 with Jason Barnard, where we continue the conversation from his episode in the summer about Google and getting the attention you need in your business. So if you are on YouTube, the thumbnail is here. Still haven't figured that one out yet. I know I've been saying that a lot, audience. I will one day figure out which side the thumbnail goes on. If you're on your favorite podcast app, scan back about three or four episodes and you can enjoy it. This has been Kim Thompson-Pinder and Drake Knighton-Helser. Hopefully I said that correctly on the Author to Authority podcast. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the very next episode. Bye now. You've been listening to the Author to Authority podcast. The extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder, has helped over 200 entrepreneurs, professionals, speakers, and coaches write and publish their books that have become incredible marketing tools for their business. And many of those have gone on to become Amazon best-selling authors and have used their books to land high-level clients and get on big stages. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at www.author2authoritypodcast.com. See you next time.